Do you struggle with what it means to be successful in your retirement? Trust us, you're not alone. Welcome to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. Here, you'll go in-depth with Guidance Point Advisors Investment Consultants to hear stories about how retirees in Maine are navigating a successful retirement. Get insight into the inevitable challenges of aging and define what a successful retirement looks like. Hi, my name is Ben Smith. I'm joined by my co-host, the Lieutenant Sam Weinberg, to my Lieutenant Dan Caffey. How are you doing today, Curtis Wister? I'm well. How are you, Ben? I'm well. I'm really excited for today's show. We have a just a really need for our clients all the time of, you know, we, we sit down with a lot of our clients for our first time and you start talking about lots of things they need and some of it's just financial planning and organization and, and those sorts of things. And inevitably, you ask the question about, well, all right, when's the last time you updated your will? Uh, what, what sort of estate plan is in place? And it goes to, well, you know, either they filled something out online or, you know, I, 30 years ago, I, I did this. So we, we wanted to have this conversation about this idea of retirement success, right? And, and the, through that lens, mm. but there's a need for having, uh, a, a legal, uh, documents in place to support you to have the most fulfilled retirement you can. Yeah. So, so that, for that reason, we wanted to have, uh, uh we have a really great relationship with our, our friends over at Rodman Winchell. So we have, uh, Joy Truworthy and Rachel Trafton here with us today. So we wanted to have them uh, on the show and, uh, and to, Kind of talk about that as as a need that we we see every day with our clients. So welcome, Joy, and welcome, Rachel. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, w- in terms of how we structure our conversations with these podcasts, one of the things we always want to do is just get to know you guys, right? Is you know, all of us have two D. We have our bios on the website, and people can read that. But I wanted to kind of get into each of you individually. Of well, why are you doing this? Why are you passionate about uh, about practicing in this area? So maybe you could start with you today, Joy, on this one. Absolutely. Well, I grew up in Southern Maine. And then when I graduated from law school, came up to the Bangor area to work and have been in this area since then. And originally, when I started out my career, it was a little bit more litigation focused, family law, criminal defense, um, things like that, and still in some estate planning and estate administration. But over time, I found it to not be as fulfilling because it felt a lot of the time like I was helping people try and fix situations that were unfixable. You know, there was just no way that they were um, going to be able to get back to where they started out. And then about five years ago, I had the opportunity to come to Redmond Winchell and focus more on the parts of my practice that I enjoyed, the estate planning, the estate administration, learn about long-term care planning, and have been happy here since. It's something where it's just really great proactive planning for people to be able to build something positive, to get things in their life more organized. And so that keeps me coming to work every day and happy to be helping people. Nice. Out of prevention versus the pound of cure, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Rachel, how about yourself? Where are you from? Uh, I grew up in Corinth, Maine, so not too far from here. Really? Uh, I'm a, I'm a Kanduskeg. Uh, are you? Right, yes. So that's where I live now. Nice. Moved to okay. Kanduskeg. Excellent. Moving town's over. Yeah. I went to school down in Portland. So I started at the University of Southern Maine doing social work. My mom's a social worker. Um, I actually always knew I wanted to be an attorney. So I did social work undergrad, went to law school down in Portland as well. My husband wanted to come back up home, so I started looking in this area. And Redmond Winchell being one of the bigger firms was one of my first applications. Yeah. And honestly, it kind of fell into my lap. So I applied, uh, interviewed at Redmond Winchell, and the position they needed was at the main elder law firm office. Mm-hmm. So I started there and fell in love with it. And I actually went into law school thinking I wanted to do family law. <laughs> Worked with a family law attorney for probably two years, actually, during law school and, and what, realized... Define what, what would be family law? Like family what, law, what, divorce, and child protective work, Okay, um, which was great, but I certainly learned I did not want to do that my entire career. Sure. <laughs> so yeah. uh, I, when I was applying at Redmond Winchell, it was just really just to be a generic associate. And they yep. kind of, with my social work background, they put me in elder law and it is perfect. Um, I love it. I love my clients and I love that I still have a little social worker of a role along with the legal world and 
we have a saying that uh, we kind of heard in the financial planning industry a lot is to be the the best maybe financial planning customer service that you can see is you got to have a heart of a social worker and a mind of a capitalist. Yeah. And you kind of, you know, obviously yep. you kind of have that together in the law side yeah. too. It's pretty, that's a pretty cool combo. We, we definitely are counselors in this type of work. So um, yeah, they're, they're hard discussions. Yeah, I think there's a combination of you have your legal hat on knowing the law, but you're also a social worker, you're dealing with challenging family situations. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, you're a little bit of an accountant or a financial person too, and that you're helping people sort through what their assets are and what makes the most sense for them. So and maybe just a kind of obviously you 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 both kind of got into this area, like this is where I want to be. And and Rachel, you touched on it a little bit there. But why, why Rudman Winchell, right? Why was that the place that you said, this is where I want to be? And in terms of maybe from a firm structure, but also maybe from the, what you see from a client perspective, like why, why are people choosing you um, as a firm, but also then, and kind of why, why has that been the fit for you personally? Well, I think for me, I find it to be really helpful and rewarding both for myself and for clients to be at a firm where there are people who are also knowledgeable. And it really lets us take more of a team-based approach for our clients because we can say, hey, I don't know very much about this, but I know this other person down the hall knows about this. Let's bring that person in to collaborate. And there are very few areas where there isn't someone at Redmond Winchell who knows something about them, probably a lot about them. And so that makes me feel comfortable that people who have different diverse needs, or I start to work with a particular client and then something else comes up in their life and they need something else. That makes me feel comfortable that I can kind of keep them with a firm where they're already starting to work. They have a relationship. People know them. They know us. And we can keep that bond going. I think that's almost exactly the same for me. It's really nice to help a family through maybe probate administration. And then now this family has or the kids have this inheritance and they're not sure what to do next. And maybe they have a business. So we send them downtown to the business attorneys. I think specifically I'm in a smaller office. So I I like that we have the big firm structure and it's 102 years old now or yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it's it's a, a very known law firm. Um, and then I have my smaller firm, which we're practice of Redmond Winchell. Um, and that it has a homey feel, which is really important to our clients. Mm. Um, kind of going through through the later stages in life, um, having a, a homey office and an easy access office is important to those clients sure. too. And and I'll say from from our end, right? So when you know a, a client that that situation that we started the show with, that that client comes in and they say, hey, I have this estate planning need really that, you know, they've never really verbalized or maybe even actualized before or thought about. And well, why are we, why are you having that relationship with Rudman? And we've kind of felt like we really appreciate the role that an attorney that kind of generalizes and does a lot of things really well, that there's a position for those sorts of people in the community and, and they do a lot of great work. But, you know, there's times when, you know, maybe you need a little bit more specialization that this person, that's all they do, right? And, and this is the area they really know. But you're not at such a firm that, you know, you're not, you're just one of, you know, a thousand clients that they have in their portfolio that, that there really is a relationship building that's happening here, that, that they are thinking about you. They're getting to know you. They're getting to know you as a relationship and they're, they're positioning you. Well, this is a transaction, you know, while they're, you know, helping doing the estate planning work. But it's meant to be a guiding thing over over their life, and and that that they have a relationship with the firm and you as the attorney. So I've felt that you know from from my perspective and my family members and the friends that uh, I we partner with on that. But I I think that's that's very something very personal uh, and I'm very passionate about from my end is is I'm sending people over because that's the experience that I've received and that's what I want, right? Is I want them to have that sort of relationship back and forth. You know, again, practicing and aligning your practices over time is is pretty important. So so commend you guys for doing that. It, it, it comes through pretty clearly. So it's also great to hear that from your end, that's what you why you love it, right? Is is you you track that sort of attorney because that's the type of practice that you do. Yeah, I think it's one of the biggest compliments when somebody whether it's they refer a friend or family member or they have some other need that they come back a few years later. Um, it's just great when people have built that relationship with you and they want that to continue. And you know, I've been with the firm long enough now that I've had people who have 
come back around and I've just been happy to see them again. I mean, sometimes I joke with people, well, if things go really well in your life, you won't need to see me for a while. <laughs> but uh, if something comes up where they do need us again, then it's great to be able to have that connection. Nice. Well, what I I really want to get, kind of get to in this episode with with you guys is this idea of you know, from our client perspective and what we're seeing out there is there there is a really big need for for estate planning services right is is I, I think it's the majority of the people that walk through our doors and it might even be like nine out of ten that yeah are, it's, it's up there <laughs> yeah that are walking in and they're saying. I don't have anything in place if, if I pass away today or, um, you know, I've, I've had a situation where a former coworker of mine, uh, became incapacitated as they're looking to sell their house and it was in both of their names. So having documentation and power of attorney that helps with those sorts of transactions, all of those things, you, you, you don't know you need it until you know you need it, right? So what would you, uh, in terms of if, in terms of kind of walking through the door, what, what would be those barriers, right? Is why haven't people you know, at maybe, maybe I'm talking to them at their late fifties or early sixties. And that's generally what I'm finding, but why haven't people gone through that at this stage? Well, I think the two biggest things that then we can kind of tease apart. If I were to simplify them down, I would say like misunderstandings of the law and fear of talking about these kind of issues. I mean, I think for a lot of people, they have never walked through an attorney's door to think about these things because they're kind of inherently a little bit unpleasant to think about. Sure. You know, when we're having those conversations, we try to keep it as lighthearted as possible, but we're kind of inherently talking about what happens if the client becomes disabled, who will help take care of them, manage their finances if they can't, what will happen after their death, if they have children, what are the relationships like between those children, how do we need to set up their estate plan in a way that will help with maintaining the family harmony. You know, they may have anxieties about what retirement is going to look like. And so I think there's, even if somebody comes through the door, they may not have really thought through all of those things. And so sometimes we can, in an initial meeting, fully come up with a plan that the client feels comfortable with. Other times it takes a bit longer for them to process some of those things and talk about them with their family. And, you know, until we can get to a plan that they feel comfortable with. And and it kind of goes through that lens of retirement success, right? Is I, I think some people think about this and they go, I don't want to address that because I'm addressing them my death, right? It's like, yeah. they're, they're very focused in on, I don't want to talk about me dying because that's very uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. I don't even want to think about that. Yeah. Some, For, some people seem to think, well, if I make up a will, then I'm going to die tomorrow. Yeah. It's like, no, that that won't happen. But if you do die tomorrow, then you'll know your family's protected and things will get divided how you want them to be divided. And, 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 I, and I think that's yeah. the reverse of how, again, we want them to think about it, right? Is this, uh, we want them to think about, well, hey, that if I did pass, that I actually contributed to my family having happiness that I actually contributed to them being well positioned or receiving assets in a way that didn't lead to a fight and lead people to get hard feelings and that I wasn't the that person that drove the wedge between my two kids right though boy those are the opposite right as you go geez you know I don't want to think about myself dying but what I really don't want to think about is hey I was a root cause because I didn't do something to put a wedge into my family relation or any relationship that I have in my life. So um, yeah. I, I think we're, we're, as we're counseling people as well in that is, is starting to reframe them and reposition how they're thinking about uh, those sorts of, of ideas, right? Yeah. And I think the example that you were giving a few minutes ago about um, someone you know who was in the process of selling a house and then had some health issues, I think a lot of people have a misunderstanding about if they're particularly if they're married, that their spouse will be able to do certain things on their behalf. And if it's something where it's like, for example, a joint bank account where either of them can draw from, then yes, you could use that money to pay bills. But if it's an account that's a financial account only in one person's name, or mm-hmm. we're talking about something like real estate where both people would have to sign off on it, if it's something that has you know multiple people owning the real estate, then that may put people in a real pickle if there is a health issue and they don't have a financial power of attorney in place or an advanced health care directive in place. So what would you guys, uh, in terms of what you see on, on life's a life cycle for retirement, right? Is so 
when do you think that people should be engaging uh, you for estate planning and, and kind of those those pieces versus what are they doing? And again, what we're seeing <laughs> is, is one thing. So how do you guys kind of how would you guys frame that, right? If you're to be smart about doing this sort of work or, or putting together an estate planning uh, package for somebody, when would you like to see them versus what are they doing today? Well, I think to, to start, we estate planning should be done first when we have um, a family that has minor children. So that's really important to actually have your documents done. I have a lot of families that are like, oh, well, we don't own anything yet. We don't we don't have any assets mm. to, to be putting a will together for. Um, but picking who's um, going to make decisions for your kids and, you know, the life insurance policy that might come in and be used for your kids' benefit, who's controlling that money. Right. So if a family does do that type of planning when they have minor kids, one of the things to do is to, to keep checking in. So um, if there's a change in circumstance, the family should come in, um, including a death in the family, a divorce, new children, but especially every uh, decade. So that's one of the, the five Ds that we go through. So every 10 years or so, you should open back up your estate planning documents. Uh, laws change, families change, dynamics change. <laughs> um, so that initially that that's what I would say. Um, I think retirement age is exactly the time to come in and see either Joy or me or another attorney to start thinking about the other things. So maybe some asset protection, really just having a good plan of um, what the future is going to look like um, and making sure your state planning documents say that. So it's it's not just about coming in the first time. I think it's about coming in, you know, every 10 years, yeah. hit retirement age, maybe every five years. Um, and as you get older, we usually encourage every three years or so. So maybe a good takeaway for that is in this day and age with, uh, you know, I think there, there's a progression of, of, uh, life stage, uh, folks for the, the boomers down to the millennials mm-hmm. and X's and Y's, right? Is that I think we're getting more and more technologically focused. Um, mm-hmm. so one thing that we, we always try to do is when we're organizing people, it's like, let's create calendar appointments. Yeah, if it's on the yeah. calendar, things happen, right? Yeah. So maybe a good takeaway for people listening today would be, all right. If you have done your estate plan, uh, in a few years is maybe set that calendar appointment for, Hey, in two years, I need to do that. And then just set it for every five years. Yeah. So just have it recurring. And if it's a Gmail account or whatever, just a good thing is like, Hey, I get a reminder. This is because I don't know, 10 years from now, how the heck am I going to remember right. that I should go do that? <laughs> yep. And when did we update this then? Yeah. It's easy right? to. Tuck your documents away and forget about them. And life is busy, right? Is, sure you know, is. hey, yeah. well, we just had kids and this is maybe the, the entry point for us to get really excited about doing this right yeah. now because we're really thinking about this and it's top of mind. And now the kids are 10 and they're, they're in soccer season and field hockey yeah. and they're doing all the, those fun things. And we're focused on that, maybe not on estate planning, right? So yeah. good, uh, maybe a good takeaway yeah. for those that are just kind of thinking about that. Now, Let's fast forward then in terms of life stages, right? So as people are getting closer to retirement, again, what we see for, for liquid assets and physical assets is you're usually peaking your liquid assets generally at retirement, right? So you, you're, cause you're spending them down, uh, in retirement to live on. So you have this kind of this peaking of, of, uh, of financial assets usually at that point because of savings and 401ks and retirement plans and such. Then how does that predicate for, for what you would see then? And in terms of state planning rhythm, does that change then where maybe in your career you're saying, Hey, every 10 years and then five and three people are maybe thinking about that, that the last 8,000 days, I think is what there's, there's kind of 8,000 days of four quarters. So that late last 8,000 days of how they're thinking about it and maybe the more mortality thoughts at that stage. What would you guys say to that? I would agree with that. I think that what planning looks like changes as people go through the life cycle. So as Rachel said, when someone is younger, especially if they have kids, it's a little bit more focused on that sort of like, what if a disaster happens kind of planning. Whereas if they are more towards retirement age, a ways after they've retired, it's more looking at what happens if they have some significant health issue before they pass on and trying to plan for that. You're not just with who would be there to help them in that sort of circumstance, but also what are the finances of that going to look like? So that's something where we would be talking with them about what are their goals and preferences for what type of care they would want to receive in that circumstance and how do we financially plan for that? And with how expensive 
long-term care is, one of the things that we're frequently considering is how would we plan for a potential main care application if that health issue ever occurred? And that's working with really a pretty broad range of what sort of assets folks have, just again, because of how expensive that type of care is. So that might shift from a will that just gives everything to their spouse outright to a will that has a trust for their spouse that's more of a special needs trust in case their spouse becomes ill and is on main care benefits. We might be thinking about what we call an asset protection trust to put some of their assets into that while they're still healthy. Things like that to plan proactively if that's one of their goals and if those kinds of structures are something that they feel comfortable with. And also just making sure that they have the most recent provisions in their financial power of attorney because a lot of what we can do with asset preservation is really based on what their financial power of attorney says. And one of the terms I, I just saw, I just heard you use is this idea of asset protection, right? And that can mean different things to different people. But again, the, the name of the podcast, Retirement Success in Maine, right? So if, if you haven't done a whole lot of planning around your assets and you get into a situation where it may mean that you are having to spend assets and you didn't really maybe legally protect them in certain ways, you know, we've we've had a we've had a situation with a client uh, before that you know they were 66 and 67 and and one of them got uh, got sick and and it was a a kind of a short-term illness that led into early uh, onset dementia and they had their whole retirement planned right and they were kind of looking at that and and looking at all the assets were in one of their names and a retirement account and and how do I protect my assets right because it's not only well well one of us is now sick and it was tragic and it kind of spread very quickly. But what about the other remaining spouse here? Right. I mean, they're, they're in their sixties and they're look, they're healthy and they're looking at 30 years in the future. And, you know, by not going through and working with, with a, t- a team member like yours, you, you can run into this issue. Well, we could just spend all of our assets down and what's left for the remaining healthy spouse. Right. The, yeah. the, so that's, so from retirement success point is, Okay, that, that is terrible. It's tragic and, and you want them to be cared for, but we, you know, and from our standpoint, sitting with them, well, I, I'm concerned about two of you. I'm not just concerned about one of you, which you in, in the spousal perspective is like, I don't really care what happens to me. I want them to be taken care of and I want their health uh, to be the first and foremost. And I, I will eat tuna fish the rest of my life if I have to do that. Right. So you have this, they're unable to maybe process that and, and mm-hmm. think about themselves right. and prioritize themselves in any way. And we've just seen that be such a need. And I know I'm using a, an example here and, uh, but, but that asset protection thing can sometimes be a penny wise, pound foolish idea that, well, I don't want to work with an attorney because maybe I can't afford them. Right. Or, you know, I, I, is it really necessary? Do I really need this? Yeah. Or you've done the research online. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There are no options. <laughs> right. Yeah. This is all I can do. And I think a lot of people are surprised when we explain to them, this is what the main care rules actually mm-hmm. would be in your situation. You know, there's a lot of stuff that's dependent on what is your medical level of care? Are you married? Are you not married? What have you done with your assets in the last five years? But people are a lot of times really surprised how many options they have if they're working with an attorney. You know, people who they may get advice from may be very well-meaning, but it may not be something that's up-to-date anymore, or it may have been true for somebody in a different circumstance, but or isn't different for them. states. Yeah, yeah different yeah, states. Yeah. yeah. I also, you're planning for a married couple, I agree. Um, we don't want the spouse to be impoverished either if, if we're planning for one to need long-term care. But I have a lot of families that come in and it's it, it's a single parent, they're, they're widowed or not married. And they, they're saying the same thing sitting there with their kids is, you know, the kids are like, no, mom, dad, just I, it's your money, spend it on your care. That's what we want. But mom and dad are sitting there saying, no, 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 I worked hard and I saved this money as a legacy for my kids. And and I, I want that money protected for them. That, that's mm. why I worked. That's why I saved right. money. Right. Yeah. Um, or that that's why I kept the family house all these years was for it to go to my kids. So there's planning for single individuals as well with the same types of considerations as, you know, you, you don't know those are options out there and you've heard different things on main care and long-term care planning and 
the goals to stay home as long as you can, but there's also services available in your home. Um, so I think just the, the misconceptions about long-term care planning and the planning after retirement, I think just kind of gets buried. Yeah. And I think some of the episodes we've had so far has been all about, there's a lot of goal attainment stuff of like, Oh, I'd love to do this. And I love to dream to do that. And what we're talking about is the same thing, right? As we are talking about, Hey, we want you to use that money to achieve not only just the survival things, you know, but we also want you to achieve those uh, things I always wanted to do that I never got to do. And that mm-hmm. there's a higher and better purpose for money or, or assets in order to achieve it. We're just talking about defending it, right? right. So right. we're talking about defense, not right. offense. Right. And, and that's where it's, it's pretty important to kind of play both sides. And I'm obviously using right. the sports metaphor here yeah. on that, but. I think that's where it's it's really important that people only think about the offensive side. But from a defensive end, it's important to be both of those. Yep. And I think people forget it, right? And mm-hmm. that's why I think where we sit in our role of, hey, we want to be really good financial advisors. We want to be good investment consultants and do the best job for our clients. We need to be addressing that as, as, a, as a key piece, which yep. is, again, predicated on this today. Switching kind of over, I want to just talk. There's a unique structure with with Robin Winchell in terms of your firm, and you have a really great uh, estate planning team overall. Uh, with you guys, I'll have some really great specialties and and kind of working with that firm again, which is why you're there. But are there any misconceptions or misperceptions about people that go? Hey, I hear there's like main elder law and I hear there's estate planning. And can you talk about that in the, the play back and forth? And I know Rachel, you're, you're more on the main elder law side and Joy, you're yeah. on the kind of the formal estate planning side. But how does, how does that relate across your team? Again, intake. So someone says, I'm raising my hand right now and I need estate planning help and I don't, I don't know where to go. How how would they interact with you best, and how do how would they make sure they get to the right person with the right uh, need for them? Good question. Well, years <laughs> years ago, um, Jane Skelton worked at Redmond Winchell, and then to at that time fully explore her interest in elder law, she started her own boutique practice, and then it was uh, about. January 2014 that she decided for the good of her clients, for succession planning for her clients, for her staff, that she wanted to rejoin Redmond Winchell. And I worked for a year in her office before kind of different people changing hats. I went to the downtown office where I've been the last four years. And so part of our department is at the main elder law firm location. Part of it is at the downtown office. And we work together as a team on the same sort of issues and needs for clients. Some of us have more specialties in one area of the law versus another, but we collaborate Mm -hmm. together to get this work done. So we have one intake person. So when you call Redmond Winchell and you're asking about estate planning or, or elder law services and anything in this and um, Calling the general line, spectrum. right? So they just call the general line at that um, point. Yeah, I think either way. So okay. the, the 947-6500 is uh, actually located in at Maine Elder Law Firm. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. But if you called the 4501 number, uh, Redmond Winchell the downtown office would send you over to us. Okay. <laughs> um, and that's because that's where our intake person sits. Sure. Um, just happens to be in my office. So she goes through and she collects some information. The first thing we do anyway is a, a conflict check. So she collects some information, gets to know the person um, and their circumstances. And then the really cool thing is we have five attorneys, six, 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 six attorneys in the estate planning elder law division. And we all like to do something different. Our, our preference is something different. Really, our intake coordinator just figures out which attorney you would fit best with, and she'll get you on the calendar. And then it really depends on the attorney if you might be meeting at the main elder law firm office, or you might be meeting downtown at Redmond Winchell, but our documents are the same. We we work together, and you, you wouldn't get anything different. Um, you just happen to get the attorney who really loves the kind of work that you're there for, so... And in regards to then who you service, right? So in one of the questions, Joy, you and I have talked about in the past, right? So it's a geography, right? So if somebody's in Machias, right? And, and they're saying, Hey, I'd love to work with you. Who do you service? I guess would be the, the in terms of the geographic footprint for, for you guys. It's really a pretty broad area because for Rachel, myself, some other people in the department, the work that we do is 
pretty unique. There aren't a lot of people in central, northern, eastern Maine who do the specific work that we do with asset preservation or the kind of particularly specialized special needs planning. Mm -hmm. So I would say the range of people who I'm used to seeing in terms of geography, often people are coming from an hour away. Sometimes they're coming from two hours away. We certainly do um, phone consults. So you don't necessarily have to come to our office if you're that far away. Because there's enough situations anyway that people are saying, look, I'm maybe from Maine and maybe I'm living in Maine and then wintering somewhere else. But, you know, the idea struck me at a cocktail party at my winter place. (laughs) And I say, but, you know, who I want to work with is, you know, I like Mainers. I trust Mainers. Those are my people. Right. So I want to be connecting to that party. So that probably is, is the first good introductory step anyway. In regards to the big mistakes. And I, I, so sometimes people go, well, I don't know what I don't know. And am I making a mistake? Is there something I'm doing that maybe I'm not doing well? What do you guys see? (laughs) How much time do you want? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) How many days can we keep talking? Let's go top three. (laughs) Let's go top. Can I start? Go ahead. What are the big Um, mistakes you think people are making? Fill in the blank forms or online forms. To be honest, I actually did see my first power of attorney that came from online that was correct. One out of my three and a half, four years here. Okay. Um, so most of the time they are not adequate and they do not, you don't tend to figure out that they don't work until somebody loses capacity. Sure. And at that point, our only other option is to go to court and get the authorities that your power of attorney should have let you do. Um, so that would be my one big caution is just because it's online and just because it, says that it works in Maine does not mean it does. And, and they're probably to doing that typically because of price point, right? Is, is that sure. they, they might be scared of, yeah. I think this is going to be too expensive yeah. for yeah. me to, to be, do. To be honest, our basic estate planning package is, is cheaper than I think you would expect. Okay. So we can do a pretty basic package for somebody, um, for good price. So mm-hmm. a power of attorney specifically is our cheapest document that we do and, and probably one of the most important ones. So, so and, and I'm not trying to pin you on prices and <laughs> is there like a range that you could say it'd be something like this maybe? Well, I think so somebody who hasn't ever worked with the office before for this type of matter, for any other type of matter, we charge an initial consultation fee yep. that's $400. And certainly we don't pretend that's no money, you know, that, sure. that's yeah. A, yeah. a good yeah. amount of money. But usually with those meetings, we're reviewing documents that they send us in advance. We might be sitting there for an hour, an hour and a half. Rachel <laughs> if you and give me, me enjoy. two hours. <laughs> We're the people that like to talk, so sometimes two hours. And we're coming up with a comprehensive plan. And for some folks, that might be um, the only meeting they have with us, and they just wanted general education. For other folks, that's we're creating a plan and then moving forward with work. Um, If it's somebody who has had a connection with the firm in some way before, we're usually charging that attorney's hourly rate for the time. Gotcha. And at the end of that meeting, the ideal is that we have – a plan for what it is we're going to be doing for work. We write up an engagement agreement with the client right there in the meeting. And so they know exactly what different documents are going to cost, what costs might come after that if they ask for more help, all those kinds of things. And I think that's that's a great thing that you guys are doing, right? I think there's a lot of price sensitivity to I sit down with you. So yes, there's a $400 consultation fee that we're going through and, and I'm getting something out of this. But I don't know what I'm getting into, right? And, and yeah. at, from, and I'll age or date myself here. So I started in the, the trust department world in 2004, right? And it used to be that, you know, very complex trusts and all these things going on. And you're talking like $10,000 and up or tens of thousands of dollars up for super complex things going on. And that's not the case anymore, right? Is it, it's kind of, or it can be, but. Yeah. Well, I think it has simplified quite a bit in the sense that, um, the estate tax thresholds have changed so much sure. that for a lot of people, the sort of basic planning is going to be a lot simpler. For example, if we're doing a crisis main care application, you know, somebody needs those services right now, you know, they need because they're, you know, facing 10, 11, $12,000 a month nursing home bill. 
And so they want to get a family member on main care benefits to help pay for that. You know, that work may be pretty involved. It may be the equivalent of a cost, a month's worth of care in terms of the cost. But then that person is going to be on those benefits and then uh, over time saving money. So I think it's important to have those kinds of conversations early and often in terms of what are things costing? Do you feel comfortable with this? Are we meeting your goals right. here? Right. So so that, that price sheet really helps that, that engagement, yeah. right? Is they know what to expect before they're even getting into it, right? That there's this, they know their cost sensitivity and what they're going to get out of it. And that's, that's a very important outcome, right? I, I think what's nice about our practice too is we are able to do what we call document preparation fees or flat fees. Um, so we have a, a price for the document instead of, oh, well, I'll charge my hourly rate, right. um, mm-hmm. which is the the standard attorney way to bill. Um, right. It's however much time goes into something, that's what you bill the client for. Um, so we're able to to sit down, you check the boxes, we can total it up. This is what it will come to. Um, so that that's a little more of a relief, you, you know. You know what you're getting. Yeah. And then if somebody is a returning client and we're modifying a mm-hmm. document they had us prepare before, then usually they're coming to us with a specific list of these are the changes that I want. And probably that time then is more efficient for the client to do on an hourly rate basis. Sure. But we've yeah. already built that relationship sure. and they already have the trust there. That's why they're coming back to us to help with that. So I know we work. started with like, here's the question. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Here's a mistake. We went to pricing, <laughs> which I love that we went to pricing though. <laughs> because from a barrier Close. perspective, I think everybody's very sensitive to, mm-hmm. I'm not going to engage with you because I'm very concerned I can't afford it. Yeah. Mm. Right. And, and they just don't pass go because they can never get past that ideology or that thought that they just can't afford this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I know we talked a little offline a little bit before, but it's the same idea about how people identify themselves of, hey, I'm 85 years old, but I'm not a senior. Yeah. Right. Is this, well, they, they just think they can't afford it, even if they have scraped that sort of money because they, they've not really spent that level of, right. of money before. They're just not comfortable spending any money. Yep. Yeah. Right. So they just make really bad decisions because it's just so frivolous on, mm-hmm. on their, on their yeah. costs there. So, yeah. uh, so that was number one. <laughs> Sorry. So you how, want number two, Joy? What would you say number two mistake right. would be? Um, well, I think sometimes folks are, are not really thinking in terms of all the consequences of, who they name as co-owners on accounts, like who they name as a payable on death, who they name on beneficiary designations. And just a, a few quick examples, like for example, if somebody has put a trust for either their children or for a specific you know, purpose in their will, and then they want an insurance policy to go into that trust, well, we have to have the beneficiary designation line up with that. If somebody wants their assets after their death to be managed by a specific personal representative or trustee, they might make that person the beneficiary of that account or the payable on death beneficiary of that account and not be thinking about, well, that person's really trustworthy, but what if when I die, they're in the middle of getting divorced Mm -hmm. or they have a health issue or something where they can't distribute that account the way that I would want them to do. Um, So it happens quite a lot when I'm meeting with somebody, particularly somebody who's towards retirement age or towards that demographic where they have already put at least some time into trying to get things organized. They may have had very good intentions, but I may be recommending they refresh some of that stuff in terms of checking over the beneficiary designations, checking over, do they have payable on death things set up already? And do those really match what we're trying to do with their estate plan? Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Can I add the third? Can I take a shot and see if you agree with me? (laughs) Um, So on our end, right? So we, we establish a need for estate planning we, we've sent them over to you. There's You guys do a lot of beautiful work and create the trust. Or In some cases, there's a trust that needs to happen. And then you tell them, here's what you need to do to assign property to your trust. And you need to fund it. And yeah. you need to have your trust own all of this property. Otherwise, it really kind of counteracts the whole purpose of it. Yeah. Then we ask the question, did you actually do that? No. <laughs> No. Well, why did you go through all this and you got to the ninth inning and, and then it just 
didn't happen. Well, yeah. so the whole like deeding and kind of getting yeah. uh, assets titled appropriately and just what you said about the beneficiary yep. pieces. And I, I don't know. It was like, well, can we help you with that? Let's, let's go. And they just, I don't know. They, they kind of feel like they've done it, right? Is that they've gone to you. You've done right. the documents. They don't want to think about it anymore. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so they start, they're almost there. Keep yeah. going. Like we'll cheerlead you on. Let's do yeah. this. And it, so oh, for, we see that a lot. I, I totally agree. And I'd say like for some people that like they, they feel like they've done the work and so they want to be done. Like I think it sometimes even goes a step further. They think just because we've written up the drafts and we've sent them this document that has a big watermark on it that says draft. <laughs> right. Like they, it doesn't always connect with them. They need to come in and sign that document or sometimes too, they'll take that draft to a notary and they'll sign it in front of a notary and we'll say, no, 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 no that's no. bad. That's <laughs> bad. But yeah, it's really like thinking comprehensively and it's really great when there is a financial advisor or an accountant or some other professional who's working with the family who can make sure that those loose ends get tied up mm-hmm. because sometimes they don't want to even pay a paralegal's time to help sure. with some of those sorts of tasks. But if we don't make sure that those are made out properly, then it could really mess up their intentions with the estate plan. Yeah. I, Cause I think for our practice and how we're, we're designing it is we kind of view this as look, there's, there's really three professional lenses that we think you should be surrounded with in retirement, right? One is legal, right? Another one is financial mm-hmm. and then another one would be tax. So it's having those three things working together and people yeah, talking and yeah, together. and just everyone's communicating yeah. together of, Hey, well, you know, the client is maybe having an emotional or psychological you know, issue with completing something. We're all working to, to push them to making sure uh, that things are getting done. Yeah. And, and from our end is, you know, there's lots of reasons why we interact with the tax professional, but also, you know, going backwards is like, well, Hey, if you're establishing a trust and there's a tax reason why you'd invest one way versus another, it's also dictating how we should behave with you. So it's, it's necessary feedback. If we're trying to do the best possible job we can, we need all the information and then back to you. If we're done a great, beautiful financial plan of here's all your assets and your inventory and here's how to spend it down and think about it, you know, that speeds all that up for you too. So I, I just find that really successful uh, people that have really thought about this have, have usually put those three things in place. Yep. And yeah. they have really great relationships that they trust those people and they can go to them and they, they feel they can have an open and honest conversation about what they're facing and all those lenses. Yep. And I think retirement age is the perfect time to put that team together. Yep. Then, then we're all there as you age. Yeah. So it's kind of that interviewing of, you know, just what you said about intake and people coming to you, yeah. but it's also like, Hey, I really get along well with Joy and Rachel, right? It's like, no, they're, I, I, they're, they're here. Um, I trust them. I really personally get along with them very well. So it's just understanding of not just an expertise perspective, but also from a relationship perspective right. of who do you really like and who do you really get along with and, and kind of, cause it, this isn't meant to be a transaction yeah. thing. It's, yeah. it's meant to be, Hey, well, you know, you're, if you're 62 or 65 or 70, you know, it's, it's a 50% uh, chance that people are living to 90 today. And it's a 33% chance people living to 95. So more likely you're going to have these relationships for a long time. And, and Curtis and I kind of laugh about, well, and our ages can be a hindrance and a, and a positive, but Hey, when you are in your, in your thirties and and twenties here of, Hey, we're here for 30 years, right? You're hiring somebody at 65, you know, and that's your professional. You're trying to choose for the duration. Well, probably in two years, you're going to be forced to be right to that person. So might as well just start out with uh, that relationship and find the one that you really like yeah right so it's it's again kind of dynamic wise in terms of shopping uh, I, we kind of see that a lot so it's kind of, again i like that there's a there's certain age to your firm as well uh from you have seasoning but also you have that that uh, element to to be around for their entire retirement absolutely i've had certainly some clients kind of give me that well, how long have you been doing this? Yeah, right. But then I've had other people say, hey, you've been doing this a while, but you're younger than I am. And I know you're going to be here. And I know your firm is going to be here. And I think a lot of people do value that. Yeah. So again, there's a little bit of the, they, they expect a certain seasoning to you at all or, or expertise. Yeah. And it's like at, at some point with, with an element or a demographic, most people are going to be younger than you, right? Is is just the way it's going to be, right? So right. it's kind of getting used to that fact as well and how you're identified. I do want to ask another question, and and this is something where you know from from a client perspective, we see a lot is all right. So say either a loved one or a spouse has passed away, right? And and usually we're getting notice. You guys are noticing that in in some way, and and 
it's just a really tough time psychologically, right? Is like, here's your partner in life and they're no longer there. And there's so much to deal with, you know, emotionally with that. But uh, what does that kick off from your end, right? So you've done all this work of, right, here's protecting your assets in life and then to, in death. So what does that kick off from your side that someone should be aware of or, or be thinking about for like day one, week one, month one, you know, how does that, that time element change or, or impact them? I think the first, the first steps is just the focusing on the healing, focusing on the time with the family. Like some people, um, they call us, the same day someone died, the sure. next day after someone died, and they want to come in and meet the day after. And I mean, sometimes we can meet that quickly, but really, I think it's better for that person to be able to have a little bit of space to start to process their loss mm-hmm. and to be able to get organized with what the different assets are. If there's something we need to be helping with, with, you know, reorganizing or collecting assets. And those are hard things to make when someone is so fresh with that, you know, possibly very significant loss. And if we do have to go through probate, if we have to get someone appointed as personal representative, there's actually no rush. So at some point there might be a gap in time where we, we don't have the ability to pay a bill that we need to pay or something like that. And really that's, that's the time to, to come in and now let's get started. Um, but there, there's no rush. It's not something that has to be done that month or that week or anything like that. So we can kind of put the brakes on and, and. Yeah. I mean, they, yeah, the only time marker is far, far out in the future. Like <laughs> right. if there was a will, a will has to be probated within three years to be honored oh, wow. and, okay. and pass right. that. I wouldn't recommend waiting that definitely, long. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We don't want someone to wait that long, but I think that a little bit of space and time to try and figure out, okay, what bills are out there that need to get paid? Yeah. What are the mm-hmm. different assets? Like even sometimes with married couples, they may, you know, the surviving spouse may not know where all of the accounts were. Yeah. And we can have a much more productive meeting if there's just mm-hmm. a little bit of time for that person to start to get that information organized. And then once we sit down and just talk through with the person, okay, what types of assets were there? What had beneficiary designations? What was joint? Is there something that is a probate asset? You know, something that was solely in the person who passed on, solely in their name, mm-hmm. and that didn't have any sort of beneficiary designation on it, or, you know, real estate that was solely in that person's name, then Do you want us to help you with collecting that asset? Do you want to do that work yourself and then reach out to us if you need assistance and just explaining, okay, in this circumstance, this is what different things would cost. And then the client chooses how much assistance they want from us. Do you think that changes from a, from a spousal perspective to, Hey, my spouse died to, Hey, my parent was the last remaining spouse, right? Oh yeah. uh, we just had that this summer with like kids and the surviving spouse passing away and the kids were all scattered all throughout, like all throughout the United States come in for the funeral and they all had a week. It's like, we got to get this all done in one week. Like, yeah. well, good luck to you. That's, yeah. that's pretty yeah. tough to do. Yeah. But so I guess is that something that you're seeing from a, they think it's going to be this quick and they, they push it because they're trying to just fit it all in in a, in a physical trip. Like how do you, how do you see that change from uh, that relationship? Yeah. Yeah, Well, if, if we're talking about the first spouse passing on, then it might be that there's really no probate assets to collect. And so, you know, a lot of people, if they're a married couple, either they own everything jointly or they have beneficiary designations that says everything goes to their spouse. So there might be no probate ass, no probate estate in the first situation. In the second situation, I think I just try and put the brakes on a little bit. Like maybe we can have an initial meeting and get a little bit of information, but that they're going to have to go out and collect some information before we can really come up with a plan. And that's where, you know, doing things by phone or, you know, other ways remotely email comes through because 
a lot of times people who are out of state are going to need our assistance, but we won't be able to file paperwork for them until we have all the information about what the assets and debts are. Gotcha. We've talked a little bit about the kind of some past estate planning things, right? And different uh, estate level uh, tax levels and how it's changed today. How would you, if you're looking forward, right, 20 years, so somebody is 65 today and how you think things may change in the next 20 or 30 years over the course of their life and their retirement, or even say, you know, someone that's, again, those X's and Y's um, mm-hmm. that are younger right now, as they're thinking about getting to that uh, that point where they may be even doing more estate planning. What do you think there's a kind of a speed and technology thing happening more and more? And you're saying, hey, there's a lot of mistakes around technology being made, Rachel, right? Mm-hmm. So what do you think going forward is is kind of the, the future here? Like, how does that impact other people, that population, but also then your practice? Well, I would, I'd say there's there's two different things going on. There is the incredible cost of long-term care. As you mentioned, Mm -hmm. we're living longer. So there is more of a likelihood that people will need some type of long-term care. And that's going to look different for every person in terms of how that plays out and how they want that handled. But I think for people who are middle class, that's going to continue and, and probably even increase as it may get more challenging to buy long-term care insurance or plan in more private pay sorts of ways. They're, they'll continue to be focused on that. And I think it's hard to say 100% as probably decades and decades of estate planning attorneys have said before me, hard to predict what will happen sure. with estate tax planning because it's at certain high thresholds now, but it's a really political sort of issue. And so it might go back down. The federal level is extremely high now, but that's due to sunset. Will it get extended? Won't it get extended? And so I think folks who are in the range of, say, $3.54 million and above need to continue to check in with an estate planning attorney about where that law is at. Well, and don't you think, and this has kind of been a theme with all some of our podcasts already is this democratization of the internet, right? Is, hey, there's all this information out there and it gets overwhelming one, right? So how do you, you can search and you can find lots of different things, but here you have, you know, what you just said is, look, the law is constantly changing because it is a political football that happens back and forth a lot. Mm-hmm. And in your reading things online, which if it was dated two years ago, is completely irrelevant to today, right? It's like things are changing so rapidly and, and it, it changes by state and it changes federally. And, it's like, how do, how do you, how would anybody, even with all the information you could have, stay up on it? It's pretty tough to do. It's a full time job, which is why you need a full time attorney to do <laughs> right. it, right? <laughs> yeah. So, yes. you know, I'm, I'm making the case for you here, but that's similar, I think, across the board is this idea of, well, because there's so much information, I can just do it myself and I can just go find a form and I can just, well, well, that form was dated in 2009. Right. Right. We've had two law changes now since yeah. then. Yeah. So, you know, those sorts of, <laughs> things where, you know, there, I think there's a little scariness that people mm-hmm. think, well, professions are going to go away. I think there's even more need for it because of that, right? Is that there's so much information and misinformation out there. You don't know what pertains to you and, right. and what's the best thing for me in this situation. So having somebody that knows and can apply it directly to your situation is, is pretty important. I think right? law in general is changing too. Um, you know, we're like doctors, if you have a foot problem, you're not going to the eye doctor for that. Sure. So I think I think lawyers in general are going to start uh, being a little more specialized than, you know, we might be a general practice firm, but each attorney in the firm does something uh, specific. So if we are specializing in an area, I think it's important to consider that, you know, it's, it's not as easy as the internet makes it look. <laughs> uh, sure. Yeah. We obviously have the, went to school and got degrees and I think it's important to to see the professionals. But but that's a theme and just I've heard this tangentially here is there's a theme not only in, in just the law profession but all professions is we're we're an aging state anyway and you have an aging uh uh group of of attorneys in the state of Maine especially north of Portland and and there's a there's a resistance to moving north of Portland. And, and so, Rachel, you're, you're kind of a, a, a bucking of that trend uh, to come back. But, you know, I, I think that's something where, you know, you have this exodus of people that are eventually getting out of their practices. 
there's a need for those replacements and there's not a replacement there. So having a resource and again, where Bangor for better or worse is a, is a geographic center and, and people coming to that for, for whatever reason. But yeah, I, I think while, you know, we have an office in Portland and in Bangor, you know, it's, it's kind of nice to have a population center that people are coming to and, and they're looking for those sorts of services. So, you know, I, I think we're, I'm looking from a 20 year perspective too on the law side is, Hey, there's going to be a big need, right? It, 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 people that were generally practicing in certain areas and doing lots of different things and there's nobody replacing them. So mm-hmm. it's that local town attorney that everybody went to is, is going to be less and less available. Yeah. And, and that's why some people say that they, you know, when they sit down with me and not that they don't personally like me too, but yeah. that's why some people say that they come to Redmond Winchell because we have been around for over a hundred years. Mm-hmm. And so that's a pretty good predictor. We'll be around for a while longer and they want somebody who will be there for the rest of their lifetime for helping their kids with things that happen after their passing. And it, it just gives me good confidence that if I get hit by a bus, that I know that I have a great team of people who I work with and they'll always be somebody there to look out for the people who I care about. It's just practice continuity, right? Is that there's, yeah. just, there's just, you know, if, if something happens to one person that it doesn't just disrupt the entire business and the clients that look, we're all fiduciaries for, right? We're, we're trying to do what's in their best interest above our own. So having a practice where if you are key to their entire plan and you're lo- no longer there, well, how can you really say that's in their best interest, right? Is that, that's a really tough thing to do. Yeah. So having all those those systems and, and continuity pieces in place is pretty important. I do want to ask you, uh, so we, we're, of course, readers of the uh, the Rudman blog, right? So um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll plug that. But you know, one of your blog pieces uh, talked about uh, Prince, right? Is that Prince died without a will. And, and I think before that was Aretha Franklin, right? And so you kind of get these, there's all these people with huge estates, right? And they have access to, and money's not the concern with, with a lot of these folks, right? And, and they go, they don't have an estate plan. So I, I don't want to, uh, I want people to go read your blog, but what would you say would, you know, be the barriers for them as well? I, I, Cause I think that was an interesting kind of blog you guys wrote about that in particular. I think that goes back to one of the things we were talking about earlier about the fear that people have mm-hmm. to think about these issues. And uh, sometimes people, they've never met with an attorney before, or maybe they have, and it was a less than pleasant experience because it wasn't for a very good reason. Sure. And so they have a lot of anxiety, just the thought of coming to a law firm and sitting down with an attorney. And sometimes at the start of meetings, like people's body posture is just you know, very, very tense, you know, hard time making eye contact. And I think the one of the best compliments that I get from people is when at the end of the meeting, they just physically look a lot more relaxed, like they've taken a deep breath and just mm-hmm. relaxed their body. And they, you know, might make some comment to me about how this was so much better than they thought, <laughs> or, you know, something, right. something like that, that makes me feel like they feel comfortable with the plan that they have come up with and that we have built that connection there so that if they need help in the future, they won't delay, delay, delay. They'll come back so that we can help them sooner rather than later. Yeah. I think that's the the easiest thing is we're, we might be on the list of priorities, but we're pretty low. Yeah. You know, if you're feeling good, you're feeling healthy, we're pretty easy to bump off. You might do the financial planning first. You might open the new account next. You might yeah. go to the doctors next. But I, I think we're an easy one to keep pushing, keep pushing, and then, oh, no, I I didn't do it. Yeah, yeah. I think there's anxiety to all those interactions, right, is that I think there's this lot of unknown and how I'm going to be treated, and I don't want to feel like I'm – Maybe I'm I'm feeling dumb in a certain situation, or uh, am I going to feel uncomfortable because I I don't know what I don't know? And I think all those anxieties and fears. So it's like when you're when you're really aligned with a you know you rather have tooth extraction than going to see <laughs> yeah. your attorney or financial or, planner, yeah, right? It's, even distrust of attorneys, kind of in general, we yeah. our practice has <laughs> not yeah. always the best name, um, but I I you know they're intimidated by, oh, this attorney is going to recommend a trust. And those are big, scary documents. And, mm-hmm. and maybe uh, expensive. And, really have yeah. To be, right? yeah. So all those fears. So I, yeah. again, which is why I appreciate you guys coming in today here. And uh, the final question we always like to ask our guests are, for you personally, again, retirement su- success, uh, how would you classify your own retirement su- success? So I'll start with you, Rachel, first. 
I mean, like, what do I want yeah, to do? So yeah, so like, yeah. if, you were, if you were looking <laughs> oh, at the dust, the, like, probably the dust an jacket. easy yeah. answer or what everyone says is, uh, I'd love to travel. Okay. I'd love okay. to be have a good retirement from Redmond Winchell and um, my elder law practice and carry on and travel with my husband and maybe do some volunteering. What's the uh, what's that bucket list of travel for you? Like what? Like oh, the Italy thing you always wanted to go one on my list. Okay, um, but really everywhere. Ireland. Yeah. That sh- I'm hoping to check some of those boxes off a little sooner, but sure. <laughs> uh, definitely uh, different countries. Okay. Nice. Okay. Joy, how about you? Um, I think just feeling, feeling comfortable that the things that I've done over the course of my career that I have helped people and that I feel like there hasn't been something that I wanted to try that I didn't try. I mean, I'm, I'm a big reader. I go to lots of library book sales and I buy more used books than I can possibly read. Um, if you walked into my house, you would see lots of bookcases <laughs> nice. of books that I have not read. And, um, I still try and read a little bit every day, but I think my retirement is going to be a lot of sitting by my wood stove with tea and reading books. That sounds fun. There you go. Well, I want to thank you both for coming on the show today. It's uh, it's always again treat just to have that roundtable conversation about where things are at. So I, again, you I think you're both really well represented, Rob and Winchell today. So appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your your viewpoints with the audience today. So thank you. Thanks for having. Thank us. you. It was really great to have uh, Rachel and Joy on the show today. It was uh, kind of fun to hear from from their perspective, kind of what what they see from. Obviously, the the clients that we work on mutually, and mm. and kind of what they see from from their own client base. Um, again, this this idea of retirement success, right? Is what I liked from a takeaway of their idea of retirement success is the idea of defense. Yeah, and yeah. and not just well, you know, there's some fun things obviously you can be doing in retirement and thinking about um, you know l- the living part, uh, but also the the protecting of living um, and and then a legacy after you pass, right? Is yeah. it, again hard things to address. But but very necessary and and again from what I liked about having uh, both Joy and Rachel here is you know just how approachable they are right is very very approachable good mm-hmm. listeners uh, good storytellers so I think all those traits are very important when you're talking about someone that can be relatable and and making sure that the information that you're hearing or they're trying to translate to you mm. that you relate to right is yeah. is that you you can see and understand what they're trying to say to you it's not just all the again the the legalese and, and I'm going to have to need a translator to even talk to an attorney right so that was a that was a really good uh, again summary conversation about the estate planning thing retirement and in the the changes and that people are going to have to go through in their in their retirement. Yeah, it, it was really cool to to have that conversation sort of from their point of view. You know, Ben, we we work with people daily and we direct them to people like Joy and Rachel or we direct them to Joy and Rachel, but it was really neat to to kind of hear about that experience from their perspective, not just us, you right. know, recommending them all the time. Right. Another piece that, you know, I really that stuck out to me was when we got talking about pricing and just the idea of them doing that initial kind of consultation sort of flat fee. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it obviously depends on circumstance like it should, but and then to be able to, you know, I think they referenced like a, a worksheet that they essentially you can work through and check the boxes of what you need, whether it's a power of attorney, um, you want a will or, you know, whatever it may be. And, and you'll know sort of what you're paying for you know, when you leave. Yeah. And and it's, I think that's really important because uh, again, a lot of the clients that we're working with, you know, they, they've been very frugal their entire lives, right? Is is they've they've accumulated a level of wealth because um, they've been frugal with their money and not paying for things that they might see as frivolous. Right. right? And, and it it is a barrier for people to get over this. Mm -hmm. This isn't a frivolous cost, right? This isn't something that is, is just extra. Like, like uh, Rachel was saying, it's very low down the priority list. Mm -hmm. Um, and they, they view they can't afford it. Right. Uh, so affordability and uh, somewhere I actually, when we were designing this podcast out, you and I purposely did get into pricing because you never know how people are going to go. Well, with it. Uh, yeah. And but it, but it was great that they addressed it. And I, yeah. cause I know that's a concern that, you know, again, you don't want to go to the restaurant. Right. And, you know, when you see lobster on the, on the menu, right. And it says market price. Yeah. And you go, well, what you don't want to then ask and they tell you, oh, well, the market price is $22. 
And then you say, oh, oh never mind. Never mind, <laughs> because then I'm going to not, I'm going to show my table that I really can't afford it. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's this idea, right? Of I don't want to then get into a situation where it feels like now I'm obligated to do that and I pay a certain price that I'm now uncomfortable paying. Yeah. So I love that again, that they were able to go through that with this. And again, things vary and things change based on complexity. Right. But, uh, but pricing is a really important thing, especially with this level of service yeah. and what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah. And they're weighing that to the best benefit they're going to get uh of of protecting and playing defense on mm-hmm. their on their assets so mm-hmm. again that's a very important point that came out here yeah so I, I want to well uh, thank you everybody for for coming on and listening to the show again i think rachel enjoyed it a fantastic job representing uh not the profession but also rudman uh winchell as well mm-hmm. and and kind of that that kind of the work that needs to get done for for people to protect their assets so if you want to find out more in terms of resources, you can go to blog.guidancepointllc.com backslash five. So uh, again, on that page, you'll find more of the show uh, resources that, uh, that we're talking about today, including the Robin Winchell site and, and uh, Joy and Rachel's uh, uh, personal pages as well. Mm-hmm. So you can find more uh, of there. And if you, ha- and you have more questions or want to reach out, please let us know. But we'll see you next time. Until next time. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you've just listened to an information-filled episode of the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. While this show is about finding more ways to improve your retirement happiness, Guidance Point Advisors' mission is to help our clients create a fulfilling retirement. We do financial planning so that people can enjoy retirement and align their monetary resources to their goals. If you're wondering about your own personal success, we invite you to reach out to us to schedule a 45-minute listening session. Our advisors will have a conversation with you about your goals, your frustrations, and your problems. Make sure you check out Guidance Point Advisors on our blog, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And you can always check out more episodes of this podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And of course, keep on finding your retirement success.